This is day 45 of our daily Bible reading plan. We'll be covering Judges chapters 10 through 14 today. Lord Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Study your word, examine your truth, and just be at peace with you, Lord. Please allow us to approach your throne today to petition to you, Lord, to ask for forgiveness, to ask for peace, to ask for comfort in these times. That we may be comforted by your wisdom, by your love, and that we may in turn love each other the same way. Please guide us through your scripture today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now after Abimelech died, Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, arose to save Israel. And he lived in Shamir, in the hill country of Ephraim. He judged Israel twenty-three years. Then he died and was buried in Shamir. After him, Jair, the Gileadite, arose and judged Israel twenty-two years. He had thirty sons who rode on thirty donkeys, and they had thirty cities in the land of Gilead that are called Havoth-Jair to this day. And Jair died and was buried in Kaman. Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the sons of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. Thus they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the sons of Ammon. They afflicted and crushed the sons of Israel that year. For eighteen years they afflicted all the sons of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in Gilead, in the land of the Amorites. The sons of Ammon crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah, Benjamin, and the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was greatly distressed. Then the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, for indeed we have forsaken our God and served the Baals. The Lord said to the sons of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, the Amorites, the sons of Ammon, and the Philistines? Also when the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Mayanites oppressed you, you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hands. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore I will no longer deliver you. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your distress. The sons of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you, only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and he could bear the misery of Israel no longer. Then the sons of Ammon were summoned, and they camped in Gilead. And the sons of Israel gathered together and camped in Mizpah. The people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, 
Who is the man who will begin to fight against the sons of Ammon? He shall become head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a valiant warrior, but he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead was the father of Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore him sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows gathered themselves about Jephthah, and they went out with him. It came about after a while that the sons of Ammon fought against Israel. When the sons of Ammon fought against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob, and they said to Jephthah, Come and be our chief, that we may fight against the sons of Ammon. And then Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? So why have you come to me now when you are in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, For this reason we have now returned to you, that you may go with us and fight with the sons of Ammon and become head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back to fight against the sons of Ammon, and the Lord gives them up to me, will I become your head? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord is witness between us. Surely we will do as you have said. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and chief over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the kings of the sons of Ammon, saying, What is between you and me, that you have come to me to fight against my land? The king of the sons of Ammon said to the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they came up from Egypt, from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok and the Jordan. Therefore return them peacefully now. But Jephthah sent messengers again to the kings of the sons of Ammon. And they said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the sons of Ammon. For when they came up from Egypt, and Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea, and came to Kadesh, then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please, let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. And they also sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh. Then they went through the wilderness and around the land of Edom and the land of Moab and came to the east side of the land of Moab, and they camped beyond the Arnon. But they did not enter the territory of Moab, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. 
And Israel sent messengers to Sion, king of the Amorites, the king of Heshbon. And Israel said to him, Please, let us pass through your land to our place. But Sion did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sion gathered all his people and camped in Jahaz and fought with Israel. The Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sion and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. So Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites, the inhabitants of that country. So they possessed all the territory of the Amorites, from the Arnon as far as to the Jabbok, and from the wilderness as far as the Jordan. Since now the Lord, the God of Israel, drove out the Amorites from before his people Israel, are you then to possess it? Do you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God has driven out before us, we will possess it. Now are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive with Israel, or did he ever fight against them? While Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages, and in Error and its villages, and in all the cities that are on the banks of the Arnon, three hundred years, why did you not recover them within that time? I, therefore, have not sinned against you, but you are doing me wrong by making war against me. May the Lord, the judge, judge today between the sons of Israel and the sons of Ammon. But the king of the sons of Ammon disregarded the message which Jephthah sent them. Now the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, so that he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, that he passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he went on to the sons of Ammon. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the sons of Ammon to fight against them and the Lord gave them into his hand. He struck them with a very great slaughter, from Eror to the entrance of Minith, twenty cities, and as far as Abel-Karamim. So the sons of Ammon were subdued before the sons of Israel. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, behold, his daughter was coming out to meet him, with tambourines and with dancing. Now she was his one and only child. Besides her, he had no son or daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you are among those who trouble me. For I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. So she said to him, My father, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me as you have said, 
since the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the sons of Ammon. She said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months, that I may go to the mountains and weep because of my virginity, I and my companions. Then he said, Go. So he sent her away for two months, and she left with her companions and wept on the mountains because of her virginity. At the end of two months, she returned to her father, who did to her according to the vow which he had made, and she had no relations with a man. Thus it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in the year. Then the men of Ephraim were summoned, and they crossed to Zaphon and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the sons of Ammon without calling us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you. Jephthah said to them, I and my people were at great strife with the sons of Ammon. When I called you, you did not deliver me from their hand. When I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the sons of Ammon, and the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought Ephraim. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim, because they said, You are fugitives of Ephraim, O Gileadites, in the midst of Ephraim and in the midst of Manasseh. The Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan opposite Ephraim. And it happened when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, Let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, Are you an Ephraimite? Then if he said no, then they would say to him, Say now, Shibboleth. But he said, Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it correctly. Then they seized him and slew him at the fords of the Jordan. Thus there fell at that time 42,000 of Ephraim. Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. Now Ibsen of Bethlehem judged Israel after him. He had thirty sons and thirty daughters whom he gave in marriage outside the family. And he brought in thirty daughters from outside for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. Then Ibsen died and was buried in Bethlehem. Now Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel after him, and he judged Israel ten years. Then Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried at Ijalon in the land of Zebulun. Now Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirathonite, judged Israel after him. He had forty sons and thirty grandsons, 
who rode on seventy donkeys, and he judged Israel eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirathonite, died, and was buried at Pirathon in the land of Ephraim, in the hill country of the Amalekites. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren, and have borne no children, but you shall conceive, and give birth to a son. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. And I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. And now you shall not take wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God, from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent come to us again that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came the other day has appeared to me. Then Manoah arose and followed his wife, and when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now when your words come to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you so that we may prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. 
Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord. And he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, We will surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands. Nor would he have shown us all these things. Nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan, between Zorah and Eshtael. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives, or among all our people, that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she looks good to me. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. Then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother, and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came roaring toward them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that he tore him as one tears a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. So he went down and talked to the woman, and she looked good to Samson. When he returned later to take her, he turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hands and went on, eating as he went. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. Then his father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there, for the young men customarily did this. 
When they saw him, they brought thirty companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, Let me now propound a riddle to you. If you will indeed tell it to me within the seven days of the feast, and find it out, then I will give you thirty linen wraps and thirty changes of clothes. But if you are unable to tell me, then you shall give me thirty linen wraps and thirty changes of clothes. And they said to him, Propound your riddle, that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. But they could not tell the riddle in three days. Then it came about on the fourth day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband so that he will tell us the riddle, or we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us to impoverish us? Is this not so? Samson's wife wept before him and said, You only hate me, and you do not love me. You have propounded a riddle to the sons of my people and have not told it to me. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told it to my father or mother, so should I tell you? However, she wept before him seven days while their feast lasted. And on the seventh day he told her, because she pressed him so hard. She then told the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed thirty of them, and took their spoil, and gave the changes of clothes to those who told the riddle. And his anger burned, and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his friend. And so, so what I alluded to last time was that we were going to rapid-fire some of these judges, and we certainly did today. So we saw a brief paragraph on one judge named Tola. We saw one about a man named Jair, which was another paragraph. And then we had the longest one, which is about Jephthah. Now, what was very interesting about this is that the Israelites were keenly aware that they had sinned and they had asked for forgiveness from the Lord, and the Lord was telling them that he was not going to deliver them because they continued to betray him and to sin and to defile his law. He was going to stick with that. But then something beautiful happens. The sons of Israel not only tell the Lord that they sinned, but they also put away all the foreign gods and served the Lord. And then his response is so beautiful. He could not bear the misery of Israel any longer. 
How, how wonderful is that? He just could not see his beloved Israel suffer anymore because they were obedient to him and they had changed their ways. They repented. Bear in mind what kind of a relationship God has with the kingdom of Israel at this time. This is a covenant. Now, in today's world, we have really one major covenant that we partake in today. That is a legal binding agreement, and that is marriage. So, those who are married are under a covenant that you will be married to this particular person, and that, just like we have to vow when you're at the altar, you know, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, for sickness and health, as long as you all shall live, those vows are very serious vows. And they are traditional, yes, but just because they're traditional doesn't mean we shouldn't take them seriously, right? Because whatever we vowed in front of a minister, we're vowing to the Lord. And so men, especially men, what you vowed to do to your wife, to take care of her and to treat her well, and all of that, that's a binding agreement that you just vowed. Words mean something. And yes, there is a marriage contract, you know, the marriage license, right? Which is the documentation of it, but what you have verbalized is also important. Now, in this particular case, the Lord has both a written law for the nation of Israel but he also has given much verbal covenants. And God is, in many ways, betrothed to Israel. He betrothed himself to this nation. And as a good husband would, if he sees his wife miserable, and he sees his wife suffering so much, he should do something about it. Especially when she is victimized. And you see this reaction from God here, that they have fixed their main issue at this time. Right? They, they got rid of the gods, they repented, they fully understand what they're doing is wrong, and they're trying to fix it, and they did fix it. And so, of course, the Lord is going to honor his portion of the covenant. And sometimes, even when they, they don't, obey their part of the covenant, he still obeys his, because he is faithful, because he is a good husband to his people. And this is not the only time we see language like this. There is other parts of the Old Testament where it describes his relationship with Israel, and at times he'll even say, am I not a husband to this nation? He promises to take care of them if they obey him. Right? So it's beautiful how he just, he said he wasn't going to help them because they were still in sin. But then when they repented and cast out the false idols, that he just couldn't, he couldn't hold back any longer. He wanted so badly to rescue these people. And then he went and did. How beautiful is that? And then we see Jephthah, um, which 
I think is God's sense of humor because Jephthah was the son of a harlot. And in many ways, we can say that the nation of Israel at this time is a nation who is the son of a harlot. If you get what I'm saying, that they have prostituted themselves to these false gods for so many years that they have played the harlot. Therefore, they are the harlots. Right? So, if you want to look at it zoomed out a bit more, Jephthah is a an Israelite from the lineage of an Israelite father and from a mother who was a harlot. In the same way, the nation of Israel is the harlot, and the Lord God is the legitimate father. So it's very, <laughs> you can see some of God's sense of humor here that he has chosen someone to be judge who is the son of a harlot, just the same way that the nation itself is a harlot. So I don't think there was any accident in the way that God did that. There never is. Everything is intentional, and there are no coincidences with God, so I've learned in my life. So, the elders of Gilead want to recruit Jephthah after they had driven him out before, because they didn't want him to have any inheritance, since he was the son of a harlot. And now they want him back, because he's going to be the one to be the judge. And he makes them promise that he's going to be chief over them, and they agree. So then he sends letters to the Ammonite kings, and he lectures them about correct, factual events that happened in their past, how the land that they captured wasn't really theirs. The, the Ammonites are claiming it was, but it was not. It actually belonged to a different group. It belonged to the Amorites. Not to mention why did they take that particular set of land? Because Edom didn't let them pass, because Moab didn't let them pass, and, and then Sion went and attacked them. So he gave factual events that are showing them, hey, this isn't your land. You're saying like, hey, we're trying to fight Israel because we want our land back. Well, obviously, if you read your history, this never was your land. So you have no business coming in here. The king of Ammon just is like, eh, whatever. We're still going to go after him. Then you see the Holy Spirit come into play and lead them to an overwhelming victory. But what's really sad here is Jephthah made a vow before the Lord. The first person who comes out of the house of Jephthah is going to be offered to the Lord as a burnt offering. And when he comes back from all of it, it ends up being his only child, his daughter. And he he's so upset. He, he's probably like, why did I make that vow? Because now I have to go through with it, and I have to sacrifice my only daughter as a burnt offering. And then we see in chapter 12 that some of the people of Ephraim are in conflict with Gilead. And what's very interesting about this is, if you recall that scene 
a few days ago where the battles had been ended when Joshua was leading the people into the land. And then when they had finished all their fights, then he sent the the ones that had taken their inheritance on the other side of the Jordan, he had sent them off to go home. But when they were on their way home, they stopped and they built that altar that resembled the altar of the Lord as a memorial of where they came from and who they are. And then, of course, the people of Israel were getting all freaking out about it, and they were going to go fight them over it. And then, of course, they they made they had the discussion about what the significance of it was, and then it pleased them, right? We remember this story. It seems here that the people of Ephraim forgot this stuff. So when Ephraim tried to go over to Gilead and was getting in Jephthah's business saying, hey, why didn't you call us? Why didn't you call us to go help you fight? Complaining, complaining, complaining. And so Jephthah's like, hey, I did. I did call you. You guys didn't want to come, so I took matters in my own hands, and I took care of it. So then Ephraim started still pushing him, and so they went to fight, and Gilead beat him. But not only that, but they tried to stop any fugitives from getting into the land of Gilead. And so sometimes these people from Ephraim tried to sneak in from the borders of Ephraim to Gilead. But the way that they would be able to tell was their accent. There was a particular word that the people of Ephraim just could not say. And that was the word shibboleth. It has no particular meaning that I know of besides just being a like a linguistic test. Like it was a way to test the way their accent or their wordage is. And instead of saying shibboleth, they would say sibboleth. And since they couldn't pronounce it, then they got found out that they <laughs> they were Ephraimites and they would get killed. And then that ends the life of Jephthah. Then you see another paragraph for a man named Ibzan, who, who judges for a while. And he gets his paragraph. You see a man named Elon gets his paragraph. And then he's done. And then you see another judge named Abdon. And he gets his paragraph. And then it's over. And then finally, we have the last judge of the book of Judges, and that would be Samson. What's very interesting about Samson is that he is, to my knowledge, the only Israelite in the history of the Bible who was ever a Nazarite from birth by God's command. So that itself is very interesting. And if we recall what a Nazarite is, that is a, a designation of someone being made holy in the presence of the Lord. And there are certain criteria that had to be met in order to be a Nazarite. For one, if you ever took that vow of being a Nazarite holy to the Lord, you would never cut your hair. You would never drink wine or even eat grapes. You know, there's particular criteria that God required of a Nazarite vow. And he had commanded these people 
Manoa and his wife to have him be separate from birth. And he had a great calling. And what's interesting here is that the angel of the Lord appears to the wife, and she hears all this stuff, and she listens. She doesn't know who's talking to her. She thinks that he's some sort of a prophet or something. And so she tells her, tells her husband and says, well, I hope we can see him again. Manoah prayed, Lord, show me this man again. And the Lord listened, and he showed himself again. And he shows himself again, and when they go through the process of understanding what is said, and they ask all these questions about him, what's interesting is all these questions are in the law of Moses. So I can imagine that God's like, it's in the law, guys, what he's supposed to do. And you see that God doesn't even answer their questions, really. He just reminds them of what he had already told them. They offer him a burnt offering. And when they take it up, the way God does it shows them that he's God. And they freak out. And again, we have that superstition that we keep seeing. And they're the only ones that seem to get it. Or at least the wife is the only one that seems to get it. That we have seen the Lord. We're going to die. And she said, I don't know. If the Lord really had desired to kill us, I don't think he would have accepted an offering from us and have told us all this stuff. She got it. She understood that if he wanted to kill you, he would have already done it. He wouldn't have wasted his time telling you this stuff if you're just going to die. So she understood it. And apparently this was not carried on through the traditions of the Israelite people because even when we see in Jesus' day, they still think that this is the case. So so then the man is named, he's born, his name is Samson. And he, from the beginning, had the Holy Spirit with him as an adult. But he did not use it for God's purposes. It wasn't Samson's intention to do the will of God in this particular case, but it was the Lord's will for it to happen in this way. Because the first thing that he does when he's old enough is he sees a, a Philistine woman and he wants to marry her. And we know from what we've been reading is that we're not they're not supposed to intermix with the surrounding peoples. And these Manoah and his wife seem to be godly people. And you see their stress when he says, I want to marry this Philistine woman. They're like, why can't you pick someone from our family? Which is what God's law says. And he's like, nope, I want what I want, and I'm going to take it. And you're going to see that that statement defines his entire life moving forward. Get her for me, for she looks good to me. And he's gonna, everything is going to be motivated by this. This looks good to me, so I'm going to get it. This looks good to me, so I'm going to do it the way I want. And that is going to be the definition of his life. Now, what is the significance of the lion that he apparently tore in half? And... 
Then a swarm of bees and, and honey were in the body of the lion and made honey. What's, the, what's wrong with that? Well, again, one of the important things in the Law of Moses, not only for the Nazarite, but also for anybody, you are considered unclean if you touch a carcass. If you are near a dead body of some kind, you are considered unclean. And it was completely unacceptable for a Nazarite to touch a dead body at any time, even a family member. So he was doing wrong by this. He was violating the law of the Nazarite by eating this honey and by getting near the body. And then we see that at this marriage feast, he bets these guys 30 changes of clothes, which was a lot of, that was pretty pricey in those days. Like for 30 changes of clothes, I'm going to tell you a riddle. If you can figure it out, I'll give you 30 changes of clothes. But if you don't, you owe me 30 changes of clothes. Like, okay. So he gives the riddle, and they're, they don't know. So they know that his new Philistine wife could maybe soften him up and reveal to the, the answer to that riddle. And so she begs him, and she's threatened by her life to get the answer to this riddle. And so he finally gives in and tells her. But then she goes and tells the other ones. And so they answer him. And he's like, well, if you didn't talk to my wife, you would not have answered the riddle. So y'all cheated. So I'm going to do something about this. But fair enough. I lost the bet. So I'm going to go take care of my end of the bargain. So it said that he went and he killed 30 people and took their spoil and gave the changes of clothes to the ones who told the riddle. So he was just upset about that because they cheated. And apparently his wife was not good enough for him. So he didn't consummate the marriage. Instead, it looks like the best man of his wedding was the one that actually was uh, going to consummate the marriage. So he's just like, I'm not, this, this, this woman is not, she's not worthy of me because she had betrayed me. And we're going to see a lot of drama with Samson. Samson is a really messed up individual where he wants to do the things of the Lord, but he also wants to do things for himself first. And I think we're all characteristic of that in some way, but you're going to see so many blessings, so much the talent and ability that the that God gives him, and he, despite his obvious flaws, God still uses him, and that's something that is something we need to keep in mind for ourselves that we're all messed up individuals in some way, but God still chooses to use us, and He makes something out of us, and that should be always excellent to remember. But we'll finish the story of Samson tomorrow. And that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless.